time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Greetings, friends. Thanks for joining us today for our midweek podcast of The Financial Physician. I'm Lou Scatigna, certified financial planner and your money doctor twice a week. We have our main podcast Sunday. It's uploaded Sunday morning early. Uh, lately, it's been about 7 a.m., but it certainly will be up by 9 a.m. Uh, that's our two-hour program. And uh, midweek podcast is up on Wednesday around 4 o'clock. And uh, hopefully we do a truncated version of the program. I try to stay under an hour, uh, although last Wednesday we went an hour and a half. Uh, it just goes to show you how many things are going on these days. Uh, so much to cover. Um, later in the program, we're going to talk about, well, it's another week, another indictment uh, of President Trump by a lunatic left-wing Democrat uh, prosecutor. Uh, uh, it just doesn't end. Uh, we'll, we'll dive deep into that later on. Uh, I also want to talk about these horrible fl- fires in Maui. Um, and uh, it's getting very, very suspicious down there. Um, uh, we'll, we'll cover some of the oddities down there. And it's just what, you, what is uh, one of the worst tragedies in the history of our country. Um, and more and more will be coming out. Uh, but it looks like, I mean, there's a thousand people missing. I mean, they say there's 100 people dead, but there's a 1,000 missing. If if you haven't located your loved one uh, by now, you could assume that they perished in the fire. But there's some uh, very, very interesting anomalies that we'll talk about uh, later in the program. But I want to start the program talking about a subject that always comes up in my conference room on a first meeting with a potential new client. And that's, Lou, what do I do, especially especially older clients, what do I do to protect my my estate for my kids, you know, I saw a family member see their entire savings and, and everything burned up in nursing home care. Uh, I don't want that to happen to me uh, or my kids' inheritance. So what can I do? And, and that's a, one of the more difficult things uh, that I have to do as a certified financial planner because we don't know what the future holds. Uh, if I knew if you were going to go into a nursing home, at what age you were going to go in and how long you are going to stay... Um, I could do exact planning on what to do, but none of us know that. So the question always comes up, Lou, should I buy long-term health care insurance to ensure that my nursing home costs are covered? And they said, well, let me ask you a few questions. Number one, are you going to go into a nursing home? Number two, how long are you going to be there? Uh, Number three, is your spouse going to need a nursing home? And how long will they be there? Obviously, nobody can answer those questions because that's in the future. Nobody has a crystal ball. So what we're really doing is shooting darts here. Uh, and there's a couple of ways you pay for long-term care. When I talk about long-term care, it could be uh, in-home care for a couple hours a day. It could be the next stage, which is a live-in caregiver. Um, and then ultimately, it is skilled nursing, which is also known as 
nursing homes. And, and that's the most expensive option of all, of course. So the first way we could pay is just use our own money. I mean, if we have enough money put away, uh, we're wealthy, uh, got a million dollars saved up. Uh, well, if I'm in a nursing home one or two years, well, it costs me a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars. So be it. And my family will inherit whatever's left. That's self-insuring. The other option is to get long-term health care insurance. Uh, and that's been around for some time. Uh, and what that does is it provides you with a certain amount per month for a certain length of time or for a certain amount of money. You know, there's a pool of money. Once it's used up, it stops. But the problem with long-term health care insurance is that for it to be affordable, and it's very expensive, uh, you have to get it while you're relatively young, like your mid-60s. So you may be paying premiums of $3,000 a month for 20 years before you may ever need it. Or you may be paying premiums for 20 years and then drop dead of a heart attack or some other uh, uh, ailment that does not require a stay in long-term health care facility. So you kind of like peed all that money away. Now, in the last few years, uh, the industry has come out with hybrid policies where it's part life insurance and it's part long-term care. And you plop in, say you plop in 200000 into the policy. Well, now you have $200,000 worth of long-term health care. And if you don't use it and you die, you'll get that money back through a life insurance policy. Therefore, there is some guarantees that, you know, you're going to get at least what you're putting it back, either in uh, services or in life insurance. But let's talk with the talk about people who have the traditional long-term care policy. Uh, and Genworth is one of the big companies that issued these policies over the years. And what we're seeing now is we're seeing people get letters in the mail from Genworth and other uh, insurance companies stating that their premiums are going to rise dramatically. And you have a few options of what to do going forward. So one of my clients called me, long-term client, actually a good friend of my family's, uh, and he said, Lou, um, I just got this letter from Genworth, and it says they're going to raise my premium. They're giving me these four options. I don't know which one to take. Uh, this person and, and his wife are 80 years old, and they have some significant health issues. So long-term health care is on the doorstep for these people, and now the insurance company's coming to them and telling them there's going to be drastic changes to their coverage. So I told him, I said, Bill, send me the letter that they sent you and let me take a look at it. Uh, and I looked at it and I spent some time with it. And the letter stated that they're in court now, meaning Genworth, requesting a premium increase of 669%. 669%. That's more than six times what they're paying now. Uh, obviously making it totally unaffordable. Uh, and they'll probably get the increase because what's happening to these insurance companies is that they're paying out a lot more in, in claims uh, for nursing homes than they had figured out when they issued these policies. And they're losing money. So they go to a court and say, hey, judge, you know, we have to raise these premiums or we're going to go out of business and they're going to have nothing. So uh, obviously, you know, that's quite distressing to get that letter in the mail, especially after you've been paying premiums for 15, 20 years, uh, and now you get this letter that they're going to uh, uh, inc increase your premiums 
dramatically. That's a kick in the you-know-what. So he goes, Lou, what do I do? We're going to probably need long-term care. So they gave him a few options, all right, because obviously nobody's going to pay six times more premium. So he got four options in this policy. And option one is that you still get your 9200 Well, let me tell you what the, the current is before this letter came, uh, is that the insurance company would pay $9,250 a month for nursing home coverage. The total benefit that they're willing to pay is $444,000. So that's about four years um, worth their benefits. And currently, they're paying um, about $3,500 a year premium. So if they just keep this as it is, well, their premium is going to go up to almost $20,000 a year. I mean, that's not going to happen. They're not going to be able to afford that. All right. So option one is you still get $9,250 a month, but the total benefit they'll pay is only $66,000. Well, that's what, six months, six and a half months of benefits? That's no coverage at all. If you're in a nursing home for two years, they're going to pay for the first six months, and then you're paying $12,000 a month after that. One good thing, though, is your premium goes away. There'll be no premium. So you have no premium. You get the same monthly benefit, but instead of getting $444,000 worth of benefit, you get $66,000. Not a very good option. All right, option two. They're going to give you a check for $10,000. Okay. You still get the $9,250 a month benefit, but the total benefits they're going to pay are only $33,000, three months. So in essence, you really have no long-term care insurance at all. Not a very good option. Now, it's nice you get the $10,000 up front, but uh, you don't have any uh, long-term health care at that point. Option three, they're going to give you a $6,000 check. They're going to pay you $5,000 a month for long-term care expenses. And the total benefit is $333,000. But you still have to pay a premium of $2,600 a year. Now, at least you have some insurance here. Now, $5,000 a month, at least here in New Jersey, doesn't even pay 50% of a monthly uh, cost for a nursing home. Uh, So you have to take the rest out of your pocket. But at least you have $333,000 worth of full benefits. Uh, Option four, they'll give you a check for $1,200. They'll pay $7,000 a month in benefits. And you have $333,000 in um, total benefit. And it costs you $2,200 a year in premiums. So these are very confusing options. And how do you decide which option to take? Well, if you're not ever going to go into a nursing home, you're better off taking a $10,000 buyout and still having a little bit of insurance. At least you get something out of it. Because if if you don't get paid anything up front and you die, you get nothing. All the premiums you paid were a waste. Option three, you know, with a $6,000 buyout, but you only get $5,000 a month in benefits. And you still have to pay a premium. So these are very confusing because you don't know what the uh, what's what the future holds for yourself. 
Now, we came to the conclusion of option three. Get some cash in hand, $6,000. Have a $2,600 premium. So uh, it'll pay, you know, two and a half years worth of premiums, the, the buyout in the beginning. You get 5000 a month benefit. You'll still have to come up with the difference out of your own pocket. But in this case, he has a good pension and income from Social Security. So he'll be able to make up the difference. And he'll have at least $333,000 worth of benefits. So uh, if you're getting this letter, and Genworth is the big provider. So everybody who has Genworth is getting these letters right now. And you have to talk to a financial advisor who could ascertain, you know, your options and and, and what your your current situation is and, and what this will do to your estate and your finances based on the option you take. Uh, but it's uh, it's pretty depressing now that, you know, you pay your whole life into a policy that you think you have a rock solid, great long term care policy. Uh, and then you get a letter when you're 80 years old and they're changing the terms and the costs of that policy. Um, but it's happening. And uh, like I said, anybody who has a Gen Worth long term care policy, uh, you probably got this letter. Now, you got to, I think it's late October to make this decision. So you do have time to contact a financial advisor. Um, you know, you want to contact me and have me look at it and me have a phone discussion or a, a conference with you uh, and see what option is better for you. I'm available to you for that. Uh, but uh, this is uh, obviously an irrevocable, uh, life-changing decision or could be. And make sure you make the right one. All right, another week, and that means another indictment by uh, the Democrats against President Trump, this time in Georgia, where they uh, charged Trump and I think 18 of his uh, allies or associates or lawyers uh, with a range of uh, crimes, including racketeering. Uh, We'll go through the list in a second. It just doesn't end here. Uh, You want to talk about... uh, a party that that's totally lost their mind. I mean, we have now four indictments against the former president, you know, just never happened before uh, in history of our country, all democratic, uh, democratic districts. We had the, the Alan Bragg in New York, Trump hater. Uh, We have um, uh, Jack Smith, another rabid Democrat Trump hater. Uh, And we have now in Georgia, um, Fannie Willis, another rabid Democrat, Trump hater who campaigned on getting Trump. Uh, It just doesn't end. Uh, And where's the fairness in all this where the Democrats now have totally weaponized uh, the justice system to try to prevent the will of the people? I mean, Trump's ahead by, what, 35 points in the Republican uh, primary and and most uh, polls way ahead of Joe Biden. Uh, so this is the will of the people that's trying to be thwarted uh, using what they call lawfare uh, by using uh, the Justice Department, uh, the law enforcement uh, as a weapon against a political opponent. And again, I've said this before. This is this this is uh, banana republic stuff. The rest of the world is laughing at us. They, they can't believe what's happening here. And the Democrats don't care. It's right in your face. They don't care what you think. They don't care what the majority of Americans think. They don't care. They just see Trump as a threat, and they're going to throw everything at him that they possibly can. 
Meanwhile, Biden, who there's tremendous amount of evidence of bribery. Uh, we have wire transfers, 178 suspicious activity reports, 20 million funneled to his family. Uh, nothing. Right. The real crimes go unindicted and the made up ones. Uh, we have indictments across all Democratic jurisdictions. Now, why this is so disturbing, especially this one in Georgia, is this Fannie Willis is a district attorney in one county in one state. She is not the attorney general of the state of Georgia. He did not decide to bring this. She did. And she's a district attorney of one county. That's like an Ocean County district attorney here in New Jersey putting charges against Biden. Uh, it's just just outrageous. Uh, we have uh, let me give you the list of charges. They're, they're, they're so they're so out there. It's so just so hard to believe. And the first one is um, racketeering. One count in violation of the Georgia Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act. Now, racketeering is something that was used against the mob. So what they're trying to say here that this is an organized crime syndicate between Trump, all his lawyers, and everything else because they were questioning the rigging of the election uh, in Georgia, especially in Atlanta, Georgia. That's where it happened. All this fraud that takes place during these elections in these swing states usually happens in one city that's totally run by the Democrats. In Pennsylvania, it was Philadelphia. In Michigan, it was Detroit. In Arizona, it was Phoenix. And in um, Georgia, it was Atlanta. And they're saying now that this is racketeering. I mean, this is ridiculous. They're just trying to throw everything they can at him uh, and trying to gum up his campaign, keep him in court uh, nonstop in 2024. This is election interference at its highest level. Uh, so racketeering is really, it's, it's a joke. Um, most legal experts believe this whole racketeering thing is going nowhere. I mean, you can actually prove that there was an enterprise trying to commit a crime. And how is it questioning an election that appears uh, to be very shady? Um, and Trump says next week he's going to release an entire report illustrating irrefutable evidence of a rigged election in, in Georgia. Um, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. Think about it. Imagine a crime being perpetrated against you, the rigging of an election, the stealing of the presidency, which is a coup, and you're the one being charged for questioning it or taking legal routes to try to have the, the, uh, the rigging of the election overturned legally, and now you're uh, accused of racketeering. I mean, it, this is... Just off the charts. And again, I say it every week. They don't care what it looks like. They don't care what you think. They don't care what the majority of Americans think. They got the media behind them. Oh, by the way, the liberals were in glee. Oh, this is it now. And you know what's really concerning about this one? This is a state, right? This is a, a local DA in a state. And I just found that out this week. If Trump becomes president, you can't pardon yourself for a state crime. Only a federal one. And that was the strategy here because they know that he's leading right now. So if all these federal indictments, you know, turn out to be guilty or it's going through the appeals process or the trial hasn't even started yet, Trump will 
pardon himself. So they had to find another jurisdiction where he can't do that. And that's Atlanta, Georgia, who is obviously overwhelmingly blue Democrat. I mean, Georgia itself is a conservative state. But like all these states, all it takes is one Democratic-run city. They know how to do the voter fraud. They're experts at it. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you recall, you know, election night, Trump was up 160,000 votes. 160,000, with almost all the votes counted. And then if you recall, by the way, the news organizations would have called that state immediately for uh, anybody who had 160,000 at that state with 90-something percent of the vote in. And then if you recall, the Republicans were told that there is a, a, a water pipe that burst and they'll have to go home and we're going to resume the counting tomorrow. But the Democrats stayed behind. And I want to know where the Republicans are in this, if that allowed this to happen. Where's the observers to this? And if you recall, it's on camera. This woman, Ruby, whatever her name was, takes boxes from under a, a, a table that's covered with fabric and she starts running them through the machine over and over and over again. It's on camera. By the way, did anything happen to her? No. Uh, and at the end of the day, after a number of days, they find enough votes to where I, I think uh, Biden was ahead by 11,000 votes and that was it. So don't tell me that there, there wasn't major voting improprieties in Fulton County where this lawsuit now is. Now, some say that this gives Trump the opportunity of discovery and to, uh, um, but if you have a judge, a Democratic judge, Obama-appointed judge or whatever, they won't allow it. They won't allow you to do the discovery uh, because they don't care about the law. They don't care about fairness in the trial. Now, Alan Dershowitz, you know, I've had him on, you know, clips of him on the program the last couple of weeks. I have him on because he's a Democrat. Although he defended Trump in the impeachment inquiry, in the impeachment trial, uh, he's a Democrat, but he knows what the law is and, and he sees it for what it is. So this is what he had to say about uh, them charging Trump and Giuliani and uh, Sidney Powell, all his lawyers and anybody involved with him, local lawyers that tried to question the election with racketeering. But to use RICO to go after a political campaign to try to change the results of an election, which people believed was not a fair election, my God, they could have done a RICO prosecution of me and all of my colleagues who were trying to undo the Florida election in 2000. 2000. Remember that election? This was 17,000 votes in Florida. was. Was it 567 or 570? 570 votes determined who the president of the United States will be. And I'm telling you right now, I honestly believe that election legitimately went to Al Gore. He should have been the president of the United States. I believed it then. I believe it now. And I acted on that belief. I went to court. We challenged the butterfly ballot. You remember the hanging chads? The recount. And then the Supreme Court butts in. In a five to four decision, which Justice Scalia, after it was over, wrote me a letter about basically apologizing, basically saying, hey, give me some slack. It was an emergency. We had to do something. Maybe I was wrong. You know, but it was a five to four decision 
four justices thought we were right, five justices thought we were wrong, majority wins. And so the case, the count was stopped and the election was handed by the Supreme Court to President Bush. I wrote a book about it called Supreme Injustice. I railed against the Supreme Court. I accused my friend Nino Scalia of applying a double standard. He was mad at me, but we became good friends again. Which party has uh, questioned elections um, more, Democrats or Republicans? Well, geez, the Democrats have done it many, many times, and Dershowitz just said, you know, he did it uh, with the Al Gore-Bush scenario. How about Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, complaining uh, about the the Trump victory? Uh, And how about um, Stacey Abrams running for governor? Of Georgia. She said the whole thing was rigged. And she said she lost by 60,000 votes. And she went on for years saying that it was stolen from her. So, I mean, we have a long history of questioning election results in the United States. But for a a local county district attorney uh, to charge an ex-president and leading candidate for president with RICO uh, uh, and to muddy up his election uh, by trying to... And they want, to, they want to do this in six months, by the way. They want to get him in court. And they want all 18 to be on trial together, which is totally impossible. There's no way this trial is going to go in six months from now. I mean, you've got 18 different people that have their own lawyers are going to file motions and, and everything else. This isn't happening then. But they want it to happen. Now, keep in mind also, Stacey Abrams could have done this two years ago. Not Stacey Abrams, uh, Fannie Willis the DA in, in Atlanta, but they dragged their feet because they wanted to get maximum use of it for the election. Don't you think Fannie Willis was coordinating with the Justice Department, Merrick Garland, Jack Smith, and the Democratic Party, and now ultimately Joe Biden himself, or whoever's pulling the strings, Obama, um, to do this? Of course they did. She denies it, but of course she's coordinated you want to talk about RICO? How about the Democratic Party between Reagan elections um, <laughs> and and now coordinating uh, multiple lawsuits out of Democratic uh, jurisdictions uh, against a Republican candidate? Again, banana republic stuff. Now, if you recall, uh, you remember uh, who was it? The the four women of the grand jury, this grand jury that that put down these indictments. A little kid, you know, 20-something years old, and she was obviously your tried-and-true left-wing uh, Democrat Trump hater. Remember she said she, she was hoping to uh, be able to swear Trump in? Listen to how she, uh, what glee she had in thinking about this. If you personally want to hear from the former I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in? I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. No bias there, of course. So you have a tainted grand jury. Uh, You have a tainted district attorney, Trump-hating, rabid Democrat. Uh, This is a kangaroo court. That's what this is all about. I mean, it's like I said, this happens in third world countries. Soviet Union, China, Venezuela. I mean, this is what we've become. And I tell you, it's a damn shame. It really is. And I tell you, it's very, very 
upsetting, it's aggravating, uh, and it's very scary. Uh, and as I said, you don't have anybody in the press or anything like that questioning how bad this is and how obviously partisan it is and how obvious it is is they're trying to uh, kneecap Trump you know, during the election run. Uh, it, it's just so uh, obvious that this is election interference at the highest level. But nobody's calling it out on the press, that's for sure. They're really gleeful about it. They think this is it. This is great. We'll see how this plays out. All these lawsuits, if convicted on any of these, are going to be overturned on appeal, uh, if not at the Supreme Court before that. But they don't care about that. Well, they do. They would love to see Trump in prison for the rest of his life. Uh, They would love that. Uh, But the most important thing is to derail his presidency or his presidential run. And that's what they're trying to do. And they're trying to have all these cases tried right in the middle of the primary season or right prior to the election. I mean, how obvious can you get on that? So here are the 13 counts in the indictment. As I said before, one count in violation of the Georgia Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organization Act, known as RICO. Three counts of solicitation, a violation of oath by a public officer, whatever that is. One count of conspiracy to commit impersonating a public officer, whatever that is. Two counts of conspiracy to commit forgery in the first offense. What is that about? Two counts of conspiracy to commit false statements and writings. Uh, One count of conspiracy to commit filing false documents. One count of filing a false document. Two counts of false statements and writings. So you can't make a false statement. Well, who says whether it's false or not? Um, And by the way, all these charges were exactly leaked, exactly as they were, on the website of the courthouse hours before the grand jury deliberated and came down with the indictment. And of course, you know, Georgia came out and said it was a fictitious document. But sure enough, when the indictment was handed out, it was exactly the same thing. Um, so here we have rabid partisans in the Democratic Party, just they won't stop, uh, indictment after indictment. Now, what, when are the Republicans going to play this game? That's the thing. The Republicans don't know how to have play dirty. <laughs> it, it's been like that for years. The Democrats don't care about the morality, the legality, uh, the constitutionality of what they they don't care. And the Republicans are always mamby-pamby, oh, we can't tit for tat. You know, why isn't Biden, why isn't there an impeachment inquiry on Biden already with all the stuff that's come out? Or on Mayorkas with the open border? Or, or Garland with all the stuff that he's doing here, not prosecuting uh, the Bidens, giving them sweetheart deals? Uh, they're wussies, that's why. It's that simple. They don't know how to play the game. They are the Washington generals, and the Democrats are the globe, uh, Harlem Globetrotters. And, uh, and and that's it. They don't know how to fight back. So, But what's to stop, if this is the president now, what's to stop a Republican district attorney in some county somewhere in the country start indicting all the Democrats, including Joe Biden? Nothing. Obviously, if, if, if a county in Georgia can do it, why can't a county uh, in Louisiana 
or Oklahoma or Texas lay out indictments because they know it's wrong. And that's the problem. The Republicans don't know how to fight with the Democrats because they don't care if it's wrong or right. They just care if it's effective in their goals. And uh, the, the Republican Party better get wise now. They better get wise because uh, you can't fight the battle with two hands tied behind your back. And that's the way it is. So another sad day um, for the country uh, as this continuous persecution of a, an ex-president, the current front runner in this, uh, this election, um, it, it's really horrible. Uh, and it's horrible for the country. It's horrible for democracy. Uh, and we'll see how this thing plays out. All right, before we move on from this subject, I just want to read to you a statement from the Trump campaign uh, in response to the indictment. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but part of it. Like Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg deranged Jack Smith and New York AG Letitia James, Fulton County GA's radical Democratic District Attorney Fannie Willis is a rabid partisan who is campaigning and fundraising on a platform of prosecuting President Trump through these bogus indictments. Ripping her page from crooked Joe Biden's playbook, Willis has strategically stalled her investigation to try and uh, maximally interfere with the 2024 presidential race and damage the dominant Trump campaign. All of these corrupt Democratic attempts will fail. Combined with intentionally slow-walking investigations by the Biden-Smith goon squads and the false charges in New York, the timing of this latest coordinated strike by a biased prosecutor in an overwhelmingly Democrat, Democrat jurisdiction not only betrays the trust of the American people, but also exposes true motivation driving their fabricated accusations. They could have brought this two and a half years ago, yet they chose to do this for election interference reasons in the middle of President Trump's successful campaign. And it goes on and on. And he says the legal double standard set against President Trump must end. Under the crooked Biden cartel, there are no rules for Democrats why Republicans face criminal charges for exercising their First Amendment rights. And he's absolutely right. It goes on and on, too. And uh, one thing about Trump, he doesn't keep silent about this stuff. You know, they call they call the prosecutor deranged and everything else. Uh, highly, highly uh, unusual way to deal with uh, somebody prosecuting you. Um, but he's had it. You know, I mean, he's pushing back. There's one Republican that pushes back, and that's Donald Trump. All the rest of them are such wishy-washy, um, whatever you want to call them. All right, at the start of August, if you recall, Fitch Ratings uh, Service downgraded the U.S. government's top credit rating. Uh, kind of was a blip on the news radar, but it was a big deal, I thought, anyway. Last week, Moody's cut the credit ratings of small and mid-sized U.S. banks because of higher funding costs, potential regulatory capital weakness, and rising risks tied to commercial real estate loans, which I've been bringing to your attention for some time now. Now, another week uh, and another possible downgrade, and this time it's the major banks. Um, Fitch uh, analyst Chris Wolf told CNBC another round of turmoil could be nearing for the banking industry. He said the ratings agency is mulling over sweeping rating downgrades for dozens of banks, including ones as big as J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, so here you have another situation. I've been telling you about these banks for some time. It's starting now. It hasn't ended this spring when we had uh, – what, four or five major banks fail or mid-sized regional banks? It's not over. 
Um, the worst is yet to come. And now Fitch is coming out and saying that uh, there's going to be some significant downgrades to the big banks in this country. And uh, it's something you got to keep an eye on. Uh, and, and I've been watching it and I've been telling you, I've been telling you this is coming for a couple of years now. Not to have your uh, life savings in any major bank. You'd have to be crazy. Um, and I think that we're not far from a major banking turmoil. Major. They've been able to paper over uh, the regional bank situation with the Fed providing tremendous amount of liquidity. Uh, bigger banks coming in and taking over the assets uh, and liabilities of these smaller banks with a major incentive by the Federal Reserve. Uh, and now you have the Federal Reserve continuing to raise interest rates, uh, which is another double whammy uh, to the banks. You remember the problem with the regional banks was their bond portfolios, which are down uh, 20, 30, 40 percent in the face of rising interest rates. Uh, and that's what caused their uh, insolvency. Now, this week, money market fund assets hit new record high. Uh, the bank's use, usage of emergency Fed funds jumps. So we're seeing, again, money flowing out of the banking system into the safety of U.S. Treasury money market funds and general money market funds. U.S. money market funds saw a fourth straight week of inflows, $14 billion this past week, to a new record high of $5.53 trillion. Retail money market funds saw inflows for the 16th straight week. And institutional funds also saw a third straight week of inflows. So what we're seeing is money coming out of the banks, flowing into money market account, uh, money market funds, and it's continuing. And that's a big problem for the banks. Um, uh, and, you know, the Fed is seeing, you know, the Fed set up this facility where banks could take their bonds that have depreciated as much as 40% give them to the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve will give them 100% of the par value of them. So if they have, you know, a billion dollars worth of bonds that the market value now is $600 million, um, the Fed will give you a billion dollars if you park those bonds with them, at least for now. You'll have to buy them back at some point. Uh, so we saw the Fed, uh, the usage of the Fed's emergency bank bailout facility rose by $1.2 billion, to a new record high of $107.5 billion. So uh, banks are still quietly dumping some of their bond portfolios as they see uh, deposits exit into the safety of money market accounts. And uh, I, I'll say it till I'm blue in my face. Um, I would not have my life savings in any bank. I really believe that we are, are very, very close to a major financial um collapse in the United States and probably worldwide. And I believe it's going to start this fall, uh, if not sooner. I really do think that we're that close to it. Uh, and and it's something to be very concerned about um, because uh, the contagion that we saw from uh, these regional banks uh, is now moving up the chain to the bigger banks. And that's why you're seeing rating services say that they're going to downgrade the credit rating of the major banks in the United States. Now, now rest assured, they're, they're going to do this very, very, very minor, minor little once half steps in credit rating downgrades. They can't do it in the big way, and they can't do it honestly because it would cause panic. Uh, but you know, you're starting to see uh, hints of what's coming, and I, I certainly wouldn't be above any FDIC limit for what that's worth, 
but there's no need to keep your money in the bank. They don't pay you enough interest to keep it there. You can go to a money market fund right now, a U.S. Treasury bill money market fund that you can get almost anywhere. They'll pay you four and three quarters to 5% without any risk of a bank failure, FDIC running out of money. The U.S. Treasury will never fail. It'll default in one way or the other. It's, it'll default by printing money and inflating away the debt. But you know your money's never going to disappear in a U.S. Treasury money market fund. And they're paying pretty, pretty damn good interest rates right now. And that's why you're seeing outflows from banks into money market funds. The smart money is doing it. Uh, and retail investors are doing it too. Retail, smart retail people are doing it. Uh, and I've had my cash in U.S. Treasury money market funds for a number of years now. I've been out of the banks. And people have to learn that there is an alternative to your bank. And the problem we have is that normalcy bias, uh, which means that, well, in the past, you know, none, none of the big banks ever failed, really, you know. Uh, so why do I think it's going to happen now? And also, it's just inertia. You know, we're, since we were a kid, taught money in the bank, right? But you have probably more money in the bank than the bank president has. And I've been saying that for years because the bank president's a rich guy. He knows where to make money. You don't make money in a bank account. He makes money lending it out at 22% to credit cards. Uh, but he knows that there's bonds, there's tax-free bonds, there's treasury bonds, there's money market funds, there's corporate bonds, there's stocks. Uh, there's other places to put money but the bank. The purpose of a bank is to be able to pay your bills to deposit your paycheck. It was never meant to be a place to keep your life savings. The people who keep their life savings in banks are people that don't know any better. It, they, you're the lowest rung on the, on, the, on the food chain as far as yield goes. Uh, and it's amazing how many people kept hundreds of thousands of dollars in CDs and bank accounts that were paying two-tenths of 1%. It's insane when there was other opportunities. But people are so used to put money in a bank, and that's what they use. But you think rich people have money in the bank? <laughs> I'm telling you, they don't, because I see them when they come to my office. Their money's not in the bank. Oh, yeah, there's people who have two, 300000 in the bank. But people who are worth a million dollars or more don't have that much money in the bank. They have it invested elsewhere, and that's probably how they got rich in the first place. You don't get rich with your money in the bank. And yeah, sure, a bank is safe usually, as long as they don't fail. Um, and but I, you know, I've been saying for years, if you keep money in the bank, you're not keeping pace with inflation. Bank accounts never do. So you're guaranteed to lose purchasing power each and every year. And I coined the term "going broke safely," and that's exactly what you do when you have the life savings in the bank. You go broke safely. Because of the purchasing power goes away. All right, let's take a quick break. My name's Lou Scatigna. You're listening to The Financial Physician. Don't go away. 
AFM Investments' Luz Katigna has been serving Ocean County for over 35 years. AFM Investments brings a level of expertise, knowledge, and experience to the Jersey Shore that you would typically have to pursue with a premier investment firm on Wall Street. Whether you need income tax preparation or financial planning, he has the experience to help you with whatever your needs are. For more information, log on to AFMinvestments.net. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company, member FINRA and SIPC, registered advisory services through our Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Welcome back to the Financial Physician, our midweek podcast. Just a reminder, our main podcast is uploaded Sunday morning, definitely by nine o'clock, many times earlier. If you become a follower of the podcast at Podomatic, you'll get an email the moment I upload uh, the new program. Otherwise, just go to either the com and link over to the podcast there or go directly to Podomatic and you'll be able to listen to our two-hour Sunday show, approximately two hours. Uh, and we do the midweek podcast, which you're listening to now, which is uh, uploaded by four o'clock Wednesday afternoon. It's uh, about half the duration of the Sunday podcast. And um, I can go on and on and on. I'm uh, right now, we're 45 minutes into it, and I still have a bunch of stuff to talk about. But uh, but thanks for joining us. Uh, remember to share the podcast. We talk about things on this show that you're not going to hear elsewhere. Uh, we bring information to you and commentary. Again, you won't, you won't get it anywhere else. Uh, so share it. That's how our podcast grows. Tell your friends about it. Send it to your social media uh, and help uh, grow our podcast. Now, we, we have um, approximately about... Three-quarters of the people who listen to the podcast on Sunday now are tuning into the Midweek Podcast. So I'm very happy about that. Many of you are finally making it uh, a habit to listen to both podcasts, which you can listen to anytime. And that's the thing about the podcast versus the live radio show we did for 23 years. Uh, The podcast can be listened to at your leisure. Uh, And uh, you can listen to it in parts. You don't have to listen to it all at once. Uh, And it's a very convenient way uh, to listen to the podcast financial physician. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address simply is lou at thefinancialphysician.com, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. I love emails I get from you people. Uh, uh, The response I got to Sunday's podcast was the most I've gotten on any podcast in, in, in a long, long time, or radio show for that matter. Uh, if you didn't listen to it yet, you got to listen to Sunday's show. I, I talked about how there is a Marxist leftist revolution going on right now in every aspect of our lives. Uh, and you better wake up to it. And we better start fighting back against it. And I mentioned uh, in education and media and politics and uh, Hollywood and entertainment and um, uh, education. It's just the things that are happening now are so in your face and so aggressive 
that is moving into high gear right now. So uh, many of you just said, Lou, you were spot on on that. And I've shared this with people. Everybody in the country should listen to that segment of the program. So it's the opening half hour or so of Sunday's show. Uh, go, go listen to it if you haven't and share it with people. Uh, but I was, uh, I was amazed how it touched a nerve with all you people out there. The emails I got on this was, was quite incredible, all very positive. Um, but, uh, anything you want me to cover on this program, I'm here for you. Just send me an email, Lou at the and say, Lou, could you cover this? I don't understand this. Uh, whether it's financial, political, whatever. Uh, uh, I want to give the people what they want. So uh, unless you tell me what you want, uh, I don't know. Uh, if you have a personal finance question uh, that I could help you with, those are my most gratifying emails because anytime I can help somebody, it makes my day. So you never bother me. Feel free to send me an email, lou at thefinancialphysician.com, or call my office at 732-905-8100. Happy to take a call from any listener. Um, so let's keep in touch. Let's uh, expand the podcast, share it with your friends, and thanks so much for joining us both uh, for the Sunday podcast, and the midweek podcast. All right, let's spend some time talking about what uh, is horrible, horrible situation in Maui. Uh, and as every day goes by, it becomes more apparent uh, the extent of this disaster on what was paradise. And that's the wildfires that basically took out an entire town and city. Uh, in a very short amount of time. Uh, and they're saying now, what, 106 people are confirmed dead, uh, but there's a 1,000 people missing. And, and if you have a loved one that's missing right now, it would take a miracle of miracles uh, for you to find them alive. Uh, so let's say that these people are dead. Uh, you're looking at 1,100 people dead in a wildfire. This is a tragedy uh, beyond tragedies. Uh, and many of them are children. And, you know, the harrowing stories that we're hearing now uh, is just uh, heartbreaking. I mean, a family stuck in their car and just burning to death in their car. Uh, people tried to escape the town, but there were down power lines, uh, power poles, so blocking their, their exit. And either they had to stay in their car or try to get out and run. You see all those burned out cars along the ocean front where people just jumped out of their cars into the water. I mean, just uh, just a, a terror uh, upon terror there. But uh, there's some really strange things going on here. And uh, a lot of conspiracy theories now are starting to pop up around the Internet. But there's a lot of strange things here. Um, first of all, where is FEMA? Where is the military? I mean, where, where is help from the government? We're not seeing help from the county government, the state government, the federal government. There's nobody to help these poor people. They're helping themselves, the people of Maui themselves. FEMA should have been there the next day with supplies, tents, housing. Nothing, not a peep. We have a lot of military in Hawaii. Why aren't they transporting stuff? It, it just makes you scratch your head. It's either malfeasance or negligence. negligence. And you got a governor there that's as bad as Biden. Something doesn't seem right here. 
Uh, people are saying there was no sirens that went off. They have tsunami sirens. They could have blew those off to warn the people. They didn't do that. How about text messages to all the cell phones? Get out of the town now before the fire gets there. You want to hear something? You want to talk about conspiracy theory? You know, the chief of police in uh, Lahaina is the same chief of police that was uh, in Vegas during the Vegas massacre. Things that make you go, hmm. Now, I haven't verified that, but I've read it in a number of places. And now you have a media blackout. The media can't go anywhere near Lahaina. Why is that? I mean, the media is up in arms saying, wait a second, this is a democracy here. This is a free country. We can go there and report on this. What don't they want you to see? All these things make my radar go up. You can't get within 12 miles of this place. I find that to be very suspicious. And then you have your president who hasn't said a thing about it until yesterday after he was totally shamed after saying no comment when asked coming off the beach, uh, you know, does, does he have something to say about the loss of life in Lahaina, the fire? And Biden said no comment. How could a president of the United States have no comment on such a tragedy? It's despicable. It's a disgrace. He's a disgrace. Now, to be fair, the look on his face made me believe that he, he either didn't know about it, he was been kept in the dark about this, or he was told about it and totally forgot about it due to his dementia. But that how, I mean, this is a layup for a president, especially one that's under fire like he is right now. To say these poor people, we're going to do everything we can for them. I, I, I contacted the director of FEMA, and we're transporting X number of cartons worth of water and food and tents and, um, and everything else. Nothing. It's, uh, it's just disgusting. And I tell you, oh, so, so he finally gives a speech on the environment or green energy, whatever, on Tuesday. And he commented on it. Well, he had to at that point. People were going nuts. So who is this guy to no, say no comment on such a tragedy? So he talked about it and uh, he said, oh, we're going to give a one-time payment of $700 to each family that lost a house there. Well, thank you very much, federal government. Meanwhile, they're seeking $24 billion for Ukraine on top of the $100 billion we sent there already into the black hole of Ukraine and into the pockets of who knows who. It's pathetic and it's disgusting. And these people, these poor people there, uh, and now their biggest fear is, you know what their biggest fear is? Besides the loss of, of missing loved ones. The fear is a land grab, that their land is going to be taken over by developers. And... Um, Maybe that was the whole plan in the first place. Who knows? I don't trust anything. Some are saying the conspiracy theories that the only way this kind of a fire could take place is a direct energy weapon. Have you seen any videos of these direct energy weapons and how they work? There's one that just boom, boom, just blows up buildings. You can see the beam coming down. Uh, not, not in Lahaina. I didn't see that, but I'm just saying and elsewhere. We have those, those weapons. 
And there was a perfect circle of fire coming around from around the town. Did you see that? And people were familiar with this kind of stuff. Says that doesn't happen in a natural fire. We have a perfect circle burning. I don't know. You know, it's uh, it's easy to be a conspiracy theorist when you see things like a media blackout, no sirens going off, no government response for these people. Um, I don't know. We just got to keep these people in our prayers. Um, it's uh, it's one of the worst. I, I can't imagine. I mean, you have families, children burning alive in this fire. It's just uh, unimaginable. And it's bothered the hell out of me, you know, since I heard of this. And now we're hearing that there's a thousand people missing. Um, just a just a terrible thing. And uh, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep on this and I'm going to keep researching this and I'll, I'll report it here on the program. But, you know, just pray for these families. Oh, yeah. And Biden said that um, uh, he'll be going to Hawaii soon, whatever soon means. I don't know what that means. But we've also authorized a one-time payment of $700 per household for folks who have been displaced. So they could do the immediate things, Biden said. When did they come up with $700 per household? And again, you know, President Zelensky has been given over $100 billion. But the most we could do is $700 for our American citizens who are totally devastated. You know, you can't make this stuff up. You really can't. All right, let's wrap it up. Uh, almost at the full hour here on our midday podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder, we'll have the Sunday podcast up at uh, right around, uh, it'll be up by 9 a.m. Eastern time, probably earlier than that. So uh, make sure you follow us on Podomatic so you'll be notified the moment we upload our new uh, podcast, whether it's Sunday or Wednesday. My email address, again, is lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Thanks for joining us. Share the podcast. And if you want to meet with me for a no obligation financial review and consultation, just call my office at 732-905-8100. Anything that affects your financial life, we can talk about on that conference. Uh, if you're not in the Jersey Shore area and you want to have a phone conference, I'm certainly available for that. Just call my office or email me at Lou at the Financial physician.com. Thanks for joining us and uh, join me Sunday for our Sunday podcast up by 9 a.m. Just remember, I'm not far, right? I'm just right so far. <laughs>